Hey brokers, it's Mark Summers, president of AIM. I'm excited to announce that I will be the new host of AIM's podcast, Broker to Broker. If you haven't listened yet, Broker to Broker dives into the nitty gritty of the mortgage business by interviewing independent brokers and loan originators, just like me. Download today, available on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the Broker to Broker podcast. Uh, I am Mark Summers, I am the president of AIM. Our next guest that we have on today, as always, I'm extremely excited. I want to hear their take on many different topics, uh, but this is also a well-respected and and vocal AIM member. So right now, I'd like to introduce Melinda Payen, who is the president of The Truth About Lending. Thanks, Melinda, for joining us today. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Yeah, no, we're going to have a good time today. Um, I, I know you're, you're, you know, in, in this, in this industry, I know, I know a lot of people look up to you. So I'm really looking forward to hear what you have to say. So mm-hmm. let's hop right into it. Let's get going. Cause I know you have a lot of information as always. I do. So, let's talk about your background. How did you, how did you get your way into this mortgage industry? How long have you been in it? Just give me a little, just give me a background. Sure. So I started in 1997. Prior to that, I was a financial advisor. I had a client of mine that I was managing his stock brokerage account and he owned a mortgage company. And I did that for about six years and he convinced me to shift from stocks and bonds to mortgages. And here I am today. Wow. So that's simple. It's a, those are two different worlds right there. It really is. It's a need versus greed mentality. It's completely different worlds. Okay. Now with that being said, give me, give me some, obstacles that you face along the way. Now, I know you've been in this business a while. So how has the business mm-hmm. changed? And what obstacles have you hit that have propelled you to where you are right now? Well, um, there's definitely a ton of obstacles throughout this entire industry, no matter you know what level you're at. There's certainly a lot of change that really seems to happen, dramatic change every few years in this industry. It's almost like they want to see who's going to survive after you know you go from a good faith to this to that to we've been through it all to borrow um, paid to lender paid compensation <laughs> oh my and, and not to interrupt you but the the, the yeah. thing i love about this is uh you know you, a lot of you know the 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 veterans have always look at these things and go, okay how can i overcome this and and sometimes right. there's a lot of people that think the sky is falling but it always seems to work out so yeah you've been you've been Definitely. through them all. absolutely absolutely and and there's been some really great changes especially for women in the industry for many years, in fact, until I uh, became a member of AIM several years ago, I had never even met another woman that owned a mortgage company. I mean, wow. that's crazy, yeah, in over 20 years. Um, and I guess when I first started in the industry and started my my brokerage so many years ago, to me, it didn't even think that, um, it didn't dawn on me like it was a big deal until I went through the process and um, you know, in the business for many years, and a lot of people were like, let me speak to your boss. And I'm like, I am the boss. You're talking to the boss. <laughs> so it's it's so heartwarming to see the amount of women that are broker owners are kicking butt in this industry and to have a, a group and and uh, to be part of that. That's just really wonderful. That's that's great. Yeah. No. And yeah. obviously, you know, AIM always tries to support everyone we can. And then, you know, yeah. and, and you brought up a great point. I mean, AIM has that Women's Mortgage Network group, which I hear is just yeah. killing it right now. It's amazing. Amazing. That's great. Okay. So we have spoke before and you have kind of a different yeah. way of, of doing business a little bit. And everyone does. And yeah. I've always said, you know, there's 5,000 right ways to do this business, but you, you have right. a little bit, I'll say somewhat of a different focus. Uh, and, and we'll say right. one of your stages of your business, which is mm-hmm. tell me the type of customers you like to market to. Okay. 
So we tend to market to people who've been denied or turned down for a mortgage or who think they cannot get a mortgage. And what is really shocking is that somewhere between 80 to 90% of our business really is a paper business. So these people who have been denied or turned down or really think that they can't get a mortgage, maybe they've been given wrong information, usually, you know, eight to nine times out of 10 end up in an A paper deal. Now, there is a percentage of non-QM business that we do, but it's really shocking because, you know, a lot of people have told this over the years and they're like, eh, I don't want to learn non-QM. I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste my time. It is just shocking how many of these people actually just were given the wrong information. They really are. That's that's crazy. So, yeah. I mean, how how do you market to someone like that, though? I mean, like, get, can you give me an idea or, sure. or a, an example? So I think that all of us have been through something in their life that maybe was a difficult time, um, depending upon where you were or if you were in this industry during the crash. You definitely went through difficult times. For myself personally, what we talk about is what we went through during the crash. Uh, we had a very sick son. We have four kids. Our third child was really sick. We were in the middle of a horrible, you know, situation with the mortgage industry. We ended up having to file personal bankruptcy and uh, had many investment properties. It was just a nightmare in South Florida. Many people know Florida was one of the hardest states that were, that were hit. And um, I just really share my personal story and say, listen, have you been through difficult times? We've been in your shoes and we're here to help you. You know, we've gone through this and we know how to you know, help you to become a homeowner again, just like we were able to become a homeowner again. And from that, we're really kind of like taking down people's defensives because a lot of people are really embarrassed of what they've gone through or they're just scared and they don't, it's almost like a confession they're, they're coming to, you know, they don't really want to tell you because they think that you're going to judge them. And by telling them upfront, listen, we're not here to judge you. We're here to help you. And that's part of it. And then the other part of advertising that we do is to people who've been turned down because of income. There's a huge amount of people that are turned down because of the income wasn't calculated right. And, and unfortunately, the loan officer, typically retail loan officers, just don't know their guidelines. And that's the biggest thing that I really preach. I really preach that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. I mean, I, you know, I know all of our lending partners, they do the best they can, you know, with with their underwriters, but listen, they're human still, they're still human. And people always have to double check their stuff. You know, I've talked about this many times. If you want to have longevity in this business, you cannot rely on selling rates and speed of the mortgage closing. I'm sorry, you just can't. You're going to have situations just like we saw in 2020, where people were really backed up in underwriting or you know, one lender changed the rates because they were so backed up or whatever the case may be. You have to sell yourself first and the rates and the process comes later. And not to say that you can't focus on to some degree, whatever the exciting thing is of the year. You know, last year was refinances. The year before that, it was maybe purchases. Now we're going back to purchases. Maybe non-QM will come back. Whatever the flavor of the year is, of course, you need to be able to service your clients and service your market. Down here, it's condos with no condo questionnaire. That's a big hot button in South Florida. You know, there's so many different things, but you have to have a plan for longevity. And longevity in this business is creating very strong referral partners. And how do you do that? You do that by putting yourself in a position where you're saving someone's behind. 
Because if you have a client that comes to you and says, please help me, I'm trying to buy this house, I'm going to lose my escrow deposit, the other mortgage broker didn't know what they were doing, I don't know why I'm denied, blah, 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 and you save that loan, guess who sees that? The realtor, the listing agent, the attorney or title company, the CPA maybe, Mm -hmm. whoever it is that's involved in that transaction. And guess who wants to work with you? All of these parties want to work with you. We have just gained so many referral partners by doing this that these are not even, I don't even want to call them referral partners because they're cheerleaders is really what they are. It's not like they're giving, it, it really is because we're not out there begging realtors to send us business and we never have been. We have the client bring us the realtor, bring us the CPA, bring us their financial advisor. We get a consistent amount of business from these third-party sources because they're like, wow, we should have started with Melinda. And I can really share with you so many examples of a few of these. Um, If you don't mind, let me just just throw throw those out. Let's say, for example, you've got somebody who was denied for an FHA loan putting down 3.5%. Well, the loan officer basically stuck them FHA because that's what they thought they want to, you know, first time home buyers want to put down as little as possible. That loan officer may not have realized, okay, so let's back up for a second. That person got denied because of their debt to income ratio because of student loans. We see this all the time. They have to use 1% for the student loan uh, balance. Now that loan comes to us and I say, wait a minute, this person qualifies for a 3% down Fannie Mae loan. They're in an income driven repayment plan where their payment is $32 a month instead of $700 a month. Guess what? Now we can use the $32 and guess what? Now they qualify. So not only do they end up qualifying, they end up putting down less money with a lower mortgage insurance. And on top of that, they end up you know, being in a situation where there's no upfront mortgage insurance. So that's just one example. Um, Another example is a situation where um, somebody is looking at, uh, for example, an asset depletion loan. There's so many loan officers that really need to learn the guidelines because I use an analogy of there's a lot of people that know how to sell something, but then if you don't know how to structure it, you're not going to get to the finish line. That's true. And an right asset, that is an asset depletion. True. Exactly. If you don't get the job done, it doesn't matter how wonderful and nice you are and whatever rate you quoted them in the beginning. The people that come to us want to have the peace of mind that they are in a professional's hands and feel confident and have the ability to sleep at night knowing that they're going to end up in the dream house that they want. And before they spend $900 on appraisal and inspections, you better have every I dotted and T crossed. And even if that means they have to wait an extra day or two for that pre-qualification letter, because we will tell people straight out in the beginning, do you want something that is accurate or do you want us to be quick? Which do you want? Because we need to do a verbal or a written verification of employment because you have bonus income, or we need to do an income analysis because you're self-employed or whatever the case may be that we have to check that other people don't check. And um, the one other example that I was saying was an asset depletion loan with Fannie Mae. If a consumer goes to a loan officer and has really no income and, I don't know, a half a million dollars in the bank, a lot of loan officers don't even know that they could do an asset depletion loan. They just think, oh, this is non-QM, no income. They don't even think, wait a minute, 
we can do, you know, we can use their the loan amount and it could be amortized by the loan. And there's other options. When you know your stuff, it shows and you got loans done that people are just really not thinking of. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, received a, a huge referral partner uh, from a lawyer uh, who who basically called me because I did a loan for him way back in the day and said, hey, do you do home equity lines of credit? And, you know, and I don't. And uh, I said, no, what, well, what's going on? And he said that there's a basically to make a long story short, the loan officer who the, his client spoke to before didn't realize on a divorce, you can treat it as a rate and term above 80 percent if it's right. if, if it, you're buying out the spouse. You know what I mean? And from yeah. that point on, I was the expert. You know what I mean? And he sends exactly. me everyone now. Exactly. Another great example of that is if somebody had a foreclosure that was included in a bankruptcy. Guess what? FHA and Freddie Mac look at that as two different things. But Fannie Mae actually looks at it as one instance. So if the house was included in the bankruptcy and the bankruptcy was from four years ago, but the certificate of title just posted last year, Fannie Mae doesn't care. They look at it as an event that happened four years ago or seven years ago or whatever the time period is. And they go by the bankruptcy date, not the foreclosure date. They don't even look at it as a foreclosure that actually happened. They include it in the bankruptcy. So it's it's such a difference to be able to really help people. And uh, it's really a pleasure of ours. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I mean, just you found a niche, you know what I mean? And and. And obviously you're, you're big into guidelines. So let's, let's hop into guidelines here real quick. Sure. Okay. We all know the guidelines are thick as can be. Yes. I mean, you read these at your leisure. How, how do you get through <laughs> all this stuff? Well, you really, you know, you just have to do the research. You, first of all, um, you really have to understand that you have a tremendous us us brokers, you know, we have so many resources available to us, but we actually have to use them. We can't just say, okay, this is what my, you know, AE said or my processor said or whoever the case may be. I know that was actually one of our, our questions that had come in from one of the social media sites. You can't trust 100% all the time what the AE or the underwriter tells you. Sometimes they're human too and they make mistakes. You have to read the guidelines and you have to be thinking, okay, what other options are there? What other guidelines? What other products are there? Because just because it doesn't fit in the Fannie doesn't mean that it won't fit in Freddie or vice versa or even FHA. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've, 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 uh, I've told many people that I've trained before, like, okay, if a, a situation comes up, you know, don't come ask me right away. Please don't. You know what I mean? I'm more than happy yeah. to help everyone, but go, go look up the guidelines. You'll learn you'll learn 10 other things <laughs> just by reading right. them sometimes than just that one topic you were looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, things change all the time. There's overlays, there's COVID overlays, there's so many different things. You just always have to double check or triple check that whatever it was is still available. And we have so many wonderful partners out there, some lenders out there that you know you can double check within their guidelines themselves you can speak with an underwriter scenario desk directly or email them. There's a lot of things that you could do to just double check. Now, where do you time find, where do you time find, gee, I, I can't talk today. Where do you find okay. time to, to like refresh and, and, and stay up to date on things? 
So it's it's certainly not easy. I mean, we have to sometimes, you know, triple check things. There's all kinds of things that change all the time. So, you know, it's just a matter of us going into the guidelines. A lot of times uh, there's emails maybe to a scenario desk to triple check things and nothing's changed. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize you can call the FHA directly. You can call your local HUD office directly and ask them a scenario question you actually can call the VA directly. There's a lot of resources out there for us brokers that I don't think we truly utilize. And a lot of people really need to realize that there's so much more business that they could be getting as a result of knowing what they're selling. There's so many great salespeople out there. But if you don't get to where you're going, it doesn't matter how good of a salesperson that you are. You want to have like a 95% closing ratio. You want to be able to deliver great loans to your lenders and to your, your you know, partners, your title partners, everybody who you're working with. They want to know that when you put in a title order or when you send a loan into underwriting that, hey, that's a loan that's going to close. You will get a lot more respect in the industry when you have those kind of closing ratios, your files will become more important to the people that you're working with because they'll know, hey, this is a real deal, not something I have to constantly babysit or fix. Right. No, absolutely. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's your reputation a lot of the times, too. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we have, um, you know, a lot of things, especially down here in South Florida, um, really for us, we had to have a very thorough understanding of the um, major derogatory events, especially, you know, what happened with the crash down here. We still have a lot of, um, you know, that that people were kind of gone through. And so you really have to understand, you know, there's so much that you can do within the A-paper world. And yes, you're going to have some non-QM loans, but that's okay. Because a non-QM loan, guess what that ends up being? Typically two loans. Because you're telling them, okay, you don't fit into an A-paper loan right now. Let's put you in an Angel Oak or Redstone or, you know, one of these other ones that are out there. And you are explaining to them, here is the strategy that you need to do in order to get into a Fannie Mae loan. We're going to put you in this and we're going to hope that you are taking these steps to do X, Y, Z, and that we can refinance you down the road into a better loan. And, you know, that is really something that ends up being very helpful. And then on top of that, you know, really with the changes in Fannie and the changes with DU, and sometimes it's stricter and sometimes it's not stricter, depending on the versions, it's really important to have a non-QM option in your back pocket because the ones that don't go with Fannie or Freddie, you need to be able to get those placed and get those done. No, absolutely. That's not, it's future yeah. business. You know, it's okay. I did it now. I, and I've done that right. before. Not, not as much QM, but I've done it before. Okay. We're going to take the loan this way now. And then right. we're going to pick some things and then this yeah. is what we're going to do. That's the plan. And once again, you know, that's what's uh, another big thing that separates us from, from those mega banks and those retail banks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of times, if you look at some of the non-QM that's out there, the rates are are not that horrible. I mean, we're doing a bank statement loan right now for somebody. Yeah, it's maybe a low LTV in the 70s, but the rates in the fives. When I started in this industry, the rates were in the eights. When it <laughs> when the rates went to the sixes, I thought this is a refi boom. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> you know, 
So to give somebody a bank statement loan in the fives with no prepayment penalty on a fixed rate, they're like thankful, like beyond thankful. It's insane. That's amazing. Now, when I spoke to you earlier, um, you said, how many loan officers do you have now? Right now we have 21, including me. So 20, I have 20 loan officers right now. So that's amazing. Now, when you, to, to, to obtain these loan officers, were some of them experienced? Were some of them green? Um, some were, I would say it's probably 50-50. Um, we have some that were brand new that wanted to start out in the industry. Um, and some uh, had pretty extensive experience. We have a very, very um, smooth uh, operations in our office. We are overstaffed by design. Um, we are um, really providing like a concierge service to our loan officers where we are walking them through, making sure the structure of the loan is good before it goes to processing. So we have a production manager and our sales manager. They work together in the upfront part of it so that the processor is not in a situation trying to figure out a loan. It is never, as you know, it is never the processor's job to figure out the guidelines or does this loan work? Never, never, never. That's how right. you slow down processing. Quite honestly, that's how you get a processor that doesn't want to work on your files. So we have um, two upfront personnel that work with loan officers who do need help to try to um, prevent any issues and really make sure everything is uh, looked at upfront. That's great. Okay. So now with, uh, you know, experienced loan officers are fine in my eyes because yeah, you may have to train them just a little bit more, whether they came from retail, whether it's just learning your system, you know, but a lot of people right. now are hiring, you know, fresh loan officers, new people. Right. How, how do you teach those loan, loan officers? I mean, like, do you have any methods or how long does it mm -hmm. take? What's your process? Give me, give me something on that one. Cause I've been getting a ton of questions about that from a lot of members. Sure. So there's some really great courses out there for brand new loan officers um, to take in addition to uh, in-house training that we provide, in addition to support from lenders like UWM with their um, course that they offer. But there's also a tremendous amount of training from MGIC and a lot of the mortgage insurance companies. So we kind of put together a game plan of here are the steps. We want you to first come in and take a, a course, whether that's from, for example, Jackie Dunlack or Karen Dice, uh, we use both of them. Um, and they have, they both have tremendous, um, I should say we're starting to use Jackie. We haven't been, but she's amazing and we will be using her. Um, and uh, we, they both have tremendous programs to just kind of give an overview of the entire industry. And I even, I even like for them to, for the loan officers to go through the processing course, even though they're not processing, because I find that if they understand the process, that they end up being a better loan officer. And we don't have any of our loan officers self-process. In fact, we prohibit it because we want our loan officers to sell and not process. And I find that it's just absolutely non-productive for a loan officer to self-process, to be quite honest. So the point is, is that um, we have steps that they take, which is a combination of some outside courses, some internal training that we do with our staff. We um, basically buddy them up with a more experienced loan officer in the beginning for a certain number of loans. And then after they've gone through a certain number of loans, then they'll become more independent. And then we also utilize 
um, you know, the different trainings and pre-recorded trainings from a lot of other sources like MGIC and some of the other lenders as well. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, no, UWM puts on a good uh, success track. You know, they do they do a good job with that. Yeah. Free. So, um, okay, so, so go ahead. What I was going to say is that I actually give brand new loan officers a script, which is questions to ask for a refinance and questions to ask for a purchase. And that way they're able to go through these questions with the consumer as if they know what they're talking about. So the questions that I would ask that would dig deeper into really things that they wouldn't think of, I would, you know, for example, are you paying alimony or child support? That is a question on the application. But the question really needs to be is, are you paying the amount that's on the divorce decree or on the marital settlement agreement? Right. <laughs> because you and I both know that they're going to go off of what's in the court papers and not what the person is paying. And so there is a script that I do give brand new loan officers to uh, assist them through the process as well. It helps them get used to the conversation where, where most of these loans go, where most people go with it. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So you're still a producing loan officer, correct? Absolutely. For yeah, sure. I, I am as well. I, I just don't think I'll ever be able to get away from it. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so you, you produce as well, but what support mm -hmm. do you provide to your LOs? So we have uh, right now a team of six operational personnel. So we have um, three processors. We have an opener, we have a production manager, and we have a sales manager. The sales manager in our situation does all the training, um, really is the primary person that buddies with the really green loan officers that are just starting. Um, we do weekly training uh, on specific product training, not sales training. We do a weekly training, either I do it or my sales manager does it. And then in addition to that, my production manager is really the one who works closer with kind of when people graduate from the sales manager into being more independent they still have somebody to fall back on to run scenarios by, am I pricing this right? Is this look right to you? And she's very experienced and has you know, many years of, of um, processing slash, you know, um, not really originating, but managing originating. Mm -hmm. um, and finding those key people are just so, so important to, to uh, be able to grow if you, if you want to be a broker owner. That's great. Love it. Absolutely love it. Love hearing everyone's ideas on how they how they conduct their business. And there's just so many successful loan officers and brokers out there that yeah. all do it differently. I just absolutely love it. I, I the, the bad thing about it is like every time I do one of these podcasts or talk to people, I want to change my business up right away just because it's it's fresh <laughs> and unique. And but you know, it's it's great. But that's what I love about our community is we we share with each other. So that that's awesome. Um so Melinda, one thing that we are trying to do here is obviously we love hearing from our community. We love it when they ask us questions. So we put it out on Facebook and I think, you know, cause you helped us do this is, uh, you know, if there's anything they want, uh, want us to talk about. So Christina asked, you know, how do you know when to trust your AE and how do you know when to dig deeper and go through the actual guidelines? So, um, I'm not sure if this is the best way to do this or not, but the way that I've done it is, is that if it's a younger AE um, that maybe has only been in the business, maybe five to seven years kind of a situation, um, I tend to double check what they're saying 
Um, a lot of times we have really saved many loans by arguing with underwriters and arguing with AEs. Never, never, never accept a denial from an underwriter. Always, always, always try to dig further. We have had so many loans where we've gone back to the underwriter or the AE and said, you're wrong, here's the guideline, you're wrong. And then we've had to take it up the ladder and eventually somebody is going to be like, oh, wait a minute, you're right, we were wrong and this is denied incorrectly. And everyone, look, everyone's human, we make mistakes. I make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes occasionally, but always just double check. Maybe there's another program, you know, they're working a million miles a minute. They have a, a, a lot of Melinda's to deal with. So you're, you've got them for 3.2 seconds on the phone and they're telling you what they know and they're trying to be, you know, helpful and they have wonderful good intentions, but you need to really be an advocate for your client and see, is there another way that we can do this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes you, you always have to fight. You have to continue to fight uh, because, you know, people sometimes people don't like to be wrong, you know, and they'll fight it tooth and nail. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm OK with people being wrong as long as they can accept being wrong because I have been wrong. Yeah, so I've been wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you do your due diligence up front before the loan gets into processing, you should already have that ammunition with you before it even gets into processing or underwriting. And that's why we called the company or I called the company the truth about lending is because we do all of those things up front before people have spent $900 on appraisals and inspections. And they've told their kids they're moving next to grandma or they told their teenagers they're going to the high school that they want to be at with their friends. There is a really big emotional part of this that you're messing with people's lives. You need to understand what you're doing has an emotional impact on a person. And whether you like it or not, crap's going to happen in this business. Yes, it won't appraise an inspection issue. Those are things that you really can't control. But things like income and guidelines and knowing your ratios and knowing that you're using the right income or guidelines or credit situations, whatever, those are things we should know up front. So you never want to be in a position where a loan is denied for a debt to income ratio problem. Never, never, never. Because guess whose fault that is? Ours. It's our fault. Unless the person loses their job. You know, if the person loses their job, fine, I understand. But if the income wasn't calculated right, guess whose fault it is? It's yours. It's ours, the loan officer's fault. We didn't know what we were doing when we took that loan, if we submitted something with the wrong income. And that's why if you see somebody who gets bonus income or commissions or overtime, you as the loan officer need to be responsible and say, stop the presses. Let's do a written, yes, written pain in the ass. It's going to take a few days to get back verification of employment because either you do you want to do it now or do you want to do it when underwriting comes? And a perfect example of that is somebody who's making, let's say, $60,000 a year. They go to Bank of America and they give Bank of America two W-2s for the last two years that both say that they're making $60,000 a year. But guess what? In 2019, they made $35,000 of commissions and $25,000 of salary. And in 2020, they then made commissions of $19,000 and now they have a base of $41,000. So you can use the base of 41,000, but you can't use any commissions. So that income just went from 60,000 to 41,000. And if you only look at the W-2s, you're never gonna know how that's broken down. So it's really important that you get those things answered up front. That's great, absolutely love it. 
Now we do have another question from Jennifer and I, I can't wait to hear your answer on this one. Um, when do you take on a rescue loan and when do you decide to pass on it? So we really never pass on any rescue loan. We analyze the situation. We see if it fits in a paper. Like I've said before, a, a really good percentage over 80% of the loans fit in some type of a paper product. If it does not fit in a paper and it absolutely does not fit into the non-QM realm, we then give the client a game plan. We tell them, this is what needs to happen. What we want you to do is X, Y, Z. We may refer them to a credit repair person or we may refer them to um, a financial advisor or we may refer them to a bankruptcy attorney if they need it. Maybe it's a much longer plan. We may refer them to a lot of a lot of people that we feel could help them. We give them the tools to get to where they're going. Now that might not be for three months, three years, whatever the case may be, but guess what? I've been in this business over 24 years. I'm not going anywhere. So whether it's three months from now or three years from now, they're still gonna remember me as somebody that helped them. So they see that I've analyzed the situation. I've given them the time of day. I've basically said, okay, here's the game plan. This is what you need to do. And then we've given them the steps to take. We put them in our CRM so that, you know, they're constantly receiving newsletters from us and Christmas cards and Fourth of July cards. And we stay in contact with them and we get those phone calls. It might be down the road. It could be further down the road, but we do get those phone calls of, hey, guess what? I, you know, finished my divorce or I'm now, you know, in an IBR with my student loan or whatever the case may be, whatever we told them to do. They appreciate that somebody listened to them instead of just said, next, sorry. I, you know, and guess what? When their realtor tells them, hey, call my mortgage broker, guess what they say? No, I, I have Melinda. I've been working with her for two years to get me in this situation. So thank, thank you, but no thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, everyone that you speak to, in, in my eyes, whether you help them or not, um, almost quote unquote denied them, can be a future client. They really can. They really can. And they appreciate the honesty. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, come to us and we say, listen, um, you know, we looked at your situation. I'm sorry, right now it's not going to work, but we need you to file your 2020 tax returns. After you file your tax returns, let me review them before you actually file them. You know, once you have a draft so we can make sure that it, it looks good to us. And, you know, then they tell us, well, listen, Bank of America told me it's not any problem. And, Guess who gets a phone call six weeks later? Oh my God, Melinda, I just had the most horrible experience with Bank of America. They told me I was pre-qualified and here I am a week before closing. It's happened so much. And sometimes certain people have to go through that. They have to be denied by someone to believe you sometimes. Right, right. And then they come back and they love you even more because they know you were honest with them in the beginning. That's great. Absolutely love it. Yeah. All right. We're going to close out this show the way I love to close out this show, which is obviously you said you've been in the business 24 plus years. You've seen people come, go. You've been through guideline changes, uh, the industry changes, lender changes, everything yeah. possible within reason. So what piece of advice would you give to our fellow community right now that's going to help us be better? What I would say is right now, this moment in time is absolutely the best time to be a broker. We have more opportunities now 
than what we even had in 2020. And I'll tell you why. Guess what? When the when a loan officer can throw a dart at a phone book or the equivalent of a phone book and get a refinance, everyone is in the industry and everyone's happy. But when rates go up, guess who succeeds? The people that shine, the people that offer a service, the people that are mortgage advisors, the people that are problem solvers. That is when we really shine. Everybody was thrilled to death with the interest rates last year and thrilled with their brokers or happy with their lending partners. Now that we're going to see maybe a little bit stricter guidelines or a little bit higher interest rates, it is the best opportunity for you as an individual mortgage broker to get out there and get new referral partners of people who really truly are going to look for those problem solvers and not necessarily somebody who is just, you know, riding the wave of a refi market. Right. This is absolutely the best time. 2021 should be the year that us as mortgage brokers capture more referral partners than even 2020 because everyone in the world was selling, you know, refis. Now, as we enter a purchase market and maybe in some cases a little bit higher of a non-QM market, the banks and all of these other places out there are not going to have the products that we're going to have. And this is what's really important to understand. It's just like when I was a financial advisor and the market went down, everybody's happy with their clients, with their with their financial advisor when the market's up. But when the market is down, that's the best time to get new customers. So it's the same thing with us as mortgage brokers. As rates get go up, now is the best time to create those referral relationships and really make them for life. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, <laughs> it's, it's, no matter what, and once again, I always say we're most, some of the most adaptive people out there uh, in the wholesale channel. You know, we were able to sell lower rates than the banks, and now we have all these different resources when rates are going up. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more that you know now is the time to to even gain more yeah. to, to gain more market share because it really is. It, it it absolutely is. Great, great. Well, Melinda, as always, thank you for everything that you do. Um, you know, thank you for just being a voice for us. Thank you for taking calls. Thank you for everything. And, you know, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, my, our pleasure. Trust me. So brokers, if you want to get caught up on all of our past podcast episodes, please head over to aimgroup.com backslash broker broker. You can also listen to all the Broker to Broker podcast episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please do me a favor. Please subscribe to it. Please rate our podcast and please leave a review. It helps us get the podcast out there and spreads the word that brokers are better. So once again, Melinda, thank you for joining us today. I'm sure we'll see you soon and uh, keep, keep doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Join our Brokers Are Better Facebook group. Be a part of the Brokers Are Better movement by joining the exclusive group for A members and independent mortgage brokers to share best practices, network, and help our community grow. Head over to Facebook and search for Brokers Are Better, select the group and click to join.